Well, good to uh, see you all, and I appreciate you braving the, the cold and the time change. I was, my dad was telling me that this is the coldest winter in Los Angeles in the past 60 years, and so you guys just made it through. It's kind of funny, though, because I try to get sympathy from some of my friends uh, more on the other coast, and I was talking to a friend from Chicago, and he, I was like, yeah, it's barely broken 60 in like a month, and he's like, yeah, it's two degrees out here, and uh, so, so a little, it's all perspective, I guess. Uh, so, working so far through this book in Hosea, and hopefully you've been encouraged and blessed by it like I have, we're in uh, chapter 11 here this morning. If you wouldn't mind turning your Bibles there, that would be fantastic, so we can be working through that. And as you're, you're turning there, and this is a little bit of a chance for uh, interaction, just wondering what comes to mind when you hear this name, Albert Einstein. What comes to mind? Well, here's a chance for you to talk, dialogue a little bit. So, genius, E equals MC squared. What else? What else? Some cool white hair. Yeah, I, I for sure noticed that. And uh, German, there you go. Is he? Uh, okay, there you go. So, so all, all of these things are true, but I would say out of all, any of those, probably the one that most people associate with Einstein is intelligence. And in fact, when you think of it, we almost use it synonymous. You might even say to, what do you think you're some sort of a Einstein? You know, like when you're, you're giving somebody a hard time because we associate him as one of the most intelligent, uh, prominent uh, thinkers of our, of our time. And I've was, I was, uh, always been just fascinated with him and his life. And not till more recently has there been much that's been uh, brought up about his personal life. I don't know if you knew this, but he was married at the age of 24 to a woman by the name of Milena Merrick. Milena Merrick was married to her at 24. And uh, just more recently, they've come up with some different letters that were written between, uh, from him uh, to his wife. And one of them I found, found kind of fascinating that I, someone had shared with me. And this is a, a, a chance to, to look behind the scenes into the most intelligent man's uh, life here. Would you guys like to hear this just for a brief moment? It's kind of written in outline form, and it's kind of a summary of some of his expectations in their marriage. Uh, point A, part one. You will make sure, number one, that my clothes and laundry are kept in good order. Number two, that I will receive my three meals regularly in my room. Number three, that my bedroom and study are kept neat, and especially that my desk is left for my use only. Stay off his desk. Part B, you will renounce, listen to this, you will renounce all personal relations with me insofar as they are not completely necessary for social reasons. Specifically, you will forego my sitting at home with you. You shall forego my going out or traveling with you. You obey the following points in your relationship with me. You will not expect any intimacy from me, nor will you reproach me in any way. You will stop talking to me if I request it. Fair. You will leave my bedroom. <laughs> you will leave my bedroom or study immediately without protest if I request it. Part D, you will undertake not to belittle me in front of our children either through words or behavior. Expectations of Albert Einstein. Isn't it fascinating that someone with so much earthly intelligence can be so unintelligent in other areas as it relates to the heart. Here's the reason I bring that up is I think so often 
we have this picture in mind of our relationship with God, that he has this checklist of expectations, part A, division C, all, all these different things in this list that he's keeping a track of and making sure that we go down that in expectation to his responding to that relationship. And what I would suggest that we've discovered in this book of Hosea is it couldn't be any farther from the truth. In Hosea, we've seen that he has a love that's compassionate, a love that's mature, an enduring love, a love that blows our mind at the degree of patience that's extended. Not at all what Einstein would propose in his marriage. You're probably not shocked by this, but that marriage didn't last. Uh, that didn't continue. But our marriage with our God, he's forever committed to us. We've been seeing that in all kinds of different ways through this unique story in Hosea. We've uh, walked through that up until this point. And last week we saw that in this marriage, a covenant relationship, he's not one to neglect confronting issues either, right? He's not one that's just going to kind of gloss over. Last week we saw all of these confrontations with the way the people of Israel had been joining in with the culture and being drawn away from it, their relationship with God. Now is kind of the post uh, kind of season after this. Chapter 11, the best picture that I can have of that, and you see it there on the screen, is kind of like a, a healthy marriage counseling session. I thought you guys would appreciate that up front here. This is a, a healthy marriage counseling session where they're going to walk through a number of different things. And I would propose that it's beneficial, one, for those of us that are married. I think there's some things to gleam here. And two, as it relates to our relationship with God, I think there's a lot for us to grab from this section of scripture. Let me pray before we break it down. Lord Jesus, we invite you to speak to us through this text, and we're grateful for this chance to be together, the freedoms that allow us to come together and gather in a room like this and to study your word. I pray that you'd free us from distraction, all the things that are appealing for our attention. Uh, God, that we'd be able to put on the shelf, at least for this next half an hour, God, that you'd meet us here exactly where we're at. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So chapter 11, verse 1, starting with this marriage counseling, reflecting on the past. This is what he says. He says, this is Hosea speaking with God, directing his voice. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms. But did they not know that I healed them? I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. Get the sense here. There's a degree of, of reminiscing, a sense of looking back and reflecting on the past. I don't know if anyone else here enjoys that, whether it's around a dinner table telling old stories about the good old days. I love doing that as a family, but maybe some of you enjoy this as well. Anybody else pull out 
old picture albums from the past. Enjoy flipping through those. We have a, a number of those before everything went digital, right? Where, uh, where you'd actually print pictures. And uh, we have ones from uh, kind of when Adrian and I were still dating. And our kids eat it up. It's so fun. They'll sit down and they'll, they'll sit and look through these uh, picture books of our, of our wedding, of our first year of each of their lives. And then things went black, you know, then it went digital and there's nothing past that point. But here's the, the benefit of that. Man, there's something about that that just kind of rekindles one's affection. When you're looking back, I get that sense here from God. He's looking back, and I love that he uses this picture of a father and a, and a son or father and a child, that parallel, the affection there. He's done that before in the book of Hosea. Reminiscing, and he, I love he talks about, I loved Israel when they were a child. And out of Egypt, I called my son. This wasn't any kind of a love. It wasn't a love like we typically associate love. Our love is so often attached to, you do this for me, I'll do that for you. Not his love. His love met them when they're at their lowest point. When they were slaves in Egypt. He's like, that's when I was drawn to you. That's when my love started the affection for you. He's wanting them to see all of this through his lenses, making sure that they don't miss it and miss his affection for them. He set his love on them when they were at their very worst. The parallel is true for us as well, right? It wasn't after we had gotten our act together when we'd done all of the right stuff or going through a checklist of sort. He came to us when we were at our lowest, when we were desperate, when we were still slaves to sin. The parallels are amazing. He says, no matter how loud he called, and he definitely called through prophets and through his word, the more they went away. Sometimes you read parts of this about Israel and just like, man, what's wrong with these people? But remember what we discovered early on in this series. It's not just a story of Israel. It's the story of who? Us. It's the story of us. We're so prone to wander. He starts reminiscing. He's like, wait a second, but I'm the one that taught you how to walk. Now you're using that ability to walk to do what? Go the opposite direction. I don't know for the parents in here, you remember the early years when your kids were first learning how to walk. When Chase was first discovering this, I was so excited when he was just tiny and we're just waiting. It was oh, just a little bit past his one-year birthday. We had been working with him. He got the jumper that he's kind of building strength in his legs and you're kind of walking him around and you're like, when it finally happened, you're like, yes, we've arrived. And then what happens? You realize, oh shoot, he's mobile now. He has the ability to do what? to go the opposite direction, to run the other way. Free will is a booger, isn't it? That whole thing. Because the number one thing as a kid, what are you trying to teach them? The number one thing, anybody read any adolescence books or anything? What's the number one thing? You're trying to teach them obedience in those early years, to listen to your voice. When you say, wait, don't touch the stove, you can burn yourself. It's key that they learn that. When you say, hey, don't run out in traffic, Billy, that's gonna end poorly. It's key, don't pet the rattlesnake, Bobby. You know, like all these things are critical for our own safety. And God's saying, oh, I was the one that was there loving you, leading you with cords of kindness. I was the one that was trying to ease the yoke. I bent down to feed you. I was the one behind the scenes. Kind of get this picture. He's, he's like a page out of his diary. Oh, that they could just see this. Oh, that they would just have eyes to open. He's kind of like 
a father with a wayward child, a parent of a, a prodigal lamenting about the direction that their child is going despite the foundation that you laid for them. I find it somewhat uh, encouraging that even the perfect father, the perfect father still has wayward children. But here in this, he's calling back, he's reflecting. It's helpful in so many different arenas to look back. Think about in marriages. So often if I'm sitting down with a couple that's going through a difficult time, one of the best exercises you can do with that couple is what? Hey, let's take a, a look back at some of the things that brought you together in the first place. What are the reasons? What were you drawn to? What were you attracted to about your spouse? Let's reflect on some of the stories of first. When was your first date? When was your first kiss? What would it look like when he asked you to marry him? Like so fun to go back on those, to rekindle the flames. I would propose, even as I did right out of the beginning, that that's also beneficial in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. So many times when our relationship with him has kind of grown stale, man, take some time and reflect. Go back on some of your first there. Oh, remember the very first time when the, the blinders came off and you saw how beautiful his love is? his pursuit of you, your recognized your sin and your need for a savior. Man, when that finally clicked, what a beautiful thing that was. Or, or maybe other first, maybe the first time that it finally made sense that, oh, this isn't just an interesting book to study for as far as historic. It's also relevant and applicable to my life. When that finally or first clicked, reflecting on some of those first time you shared Christ with somebody, maybe the first time you served, first time using your spiritual gifts. I don't know what it is to reflect back on for you, but all of those, both in our marriage and our relationship with God, can be profitable in that relationship. Continues on in verse 5. It says that this affection was also not absent of some challenges. It says, They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. Like I mentioned early on, that in a good session or marriage counseling, there's not a kind of pushing away the confronting of issues. One of the healthy parts in a conversation that's going to improve a relationship is to actually call out junk and point to the whole idea of cause and effect. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Cause and effect. When you say this, it makes me feel like this. When you do this, here's the outcome. That's so important. And when you're counseling with somebody in a marriage, it's also important as he's referring to the nation of Israel. So many cause and effects that you see here. It says it starts with the effect. It says they shall not return to the land of Egypt. In other words, I'm not going to take you back to Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king. We've talked about that a number of times here. They're about to be taken over by the Assyrians in the next generation because, here's the reason for it, because they've refused to return to me. Do you see the cause and effect? You refuse to return to him. So he's saying, all right, then I'm going to turn you over to the outcomes of your choices. Refuse to return to me. 
Think about that kind of as a, a stubborn father or husband that, that won't ever admit when they're wrong. Refuse to ever, they dig in their heels and say, man, I am not going to budge on this. God saying, oh, you're going to watch the wreckage and ruin that that leads to. Cause and effect. Verse 6, the sword shall rage against their cities, consume their bars and their gates and devour them because of their own counsels. Now, what do you think that means when it says own counsels? Who does it say that they're receiving their counsel from? Own counsels. From themselves. They're being self-led. So many times in the Old Testament, it talks about them going and doing whatever they felt or believed was right. Whatever was right in their own eyes. They're following their own counsel. And really, you think about cause and effect. If you want to know how to ruin your life best is allow yourself to lead it. Allow yourself to lead it. You're not taking counsel or input from others. You're not receiving from trusted sources. You're not digging into God's word. You're not being held accountable. That's a surefire way to lead to ruin. And he's calling them out. He's confronting them on this. And he's saying the outcome of that is not going to be good. Verse seven, my people are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the most high, he shall not raise them up at all. Do you see the cause and effect? Bent on turning away, you're not going to have any response when you call out for help. He's explaining to them how this cause and effect thing works. The bent on turning away is determined to backslide. You're just determined to go the opposite direction. Thinking about that as it relates to one of the things I grew up with. I don't know if you guys remember this uh, from when you were little. Do you remember when slides used to look like this? Before lawyers, you know, before safety standards, uh, like when, when you're like, yeah, you know, the, the, when kids were a little bit more expendable. Uh, and, and so, and, and, and I remember those, I mean, you could, if you had on some soft shorts, I mean, you could get some serious speed on that. I mean, you're, you're skipping across the, the, the pebbles at the bottom afterwards. But really, one of the things that we did as, as kids is we had in our mind, man, it would be cool if you could actually climb up the slide. Anybody ever try doing that? Anybody ever try doing it with socks on? It's nearly impossible. I discovered that there's only really one way to make it up that slide. The only possible way to make up that slide is one, if you're holding onto the sides while you're doing it. And two, if your little feet just keep on moving, right? You just got to keep those legs, that, keep that engine going, keep it going. And the faster the legs that you've got a fighting chance to maybe make it up to the top. But what happens soon as those legs stop moving? You start sliding right back down. This is the exact same picture that he's saying. Same picture for us in our walk with the Lord. Man, it's not something that can stay stagnant. You can't neglect it and think, you know what? I'm just going to stay exactly where I'm at spiritually. It works just the opposite. When you don't invest in it, when those legs aren't moving, when you're not pouring into this relationship, it's not as if he, he leaves and is done with you. But if you're wanting any kind of a vibrant, dynamic relationship with him, it takes consistent patterns of those legs moving forward to stay in that relationship. And that's what he's warning them against. Basically, this is a tough part of the counseling session, the part that a lot of times we don't want to hear, but so desperately need to hear, cause and effect. This is the hard part. But on the other side of it, it gets a little bit better. Look at verse eight. It says, but how can I give you up, O Ephraim? 
How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboam? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. I don't know if you uh, remember this particular utensil growing up. I don't know what comes to mind when you see this uh, picture of the, what, what, what comes to mind when you see that? Is that associated with stirring and making a pudding? Or, or is that maybe more often that's the good old fashioned wooden spoon? I don't know if there's anybody else that grew up with that, but that was a dreaded thing in our household. You did not look forward to the wooden spoon. That was a, that was a bad thing. Some people are like, oh my, you spanked. Yes, a lot. And here's the thing with that. As bad as that was, on the other side of that, the piece that you looked forward to more than anything was the warm hug of encouragement on the other side of the spanking. There's, there's little Alexa. I, think that, I don't even think that was related to her in trouble, but that was just, a, just a, a tender hug. But I was thinking about that as it relates to this section of scripture. I'm like, you know what? This, this is the hug after the difficult truth. This is the hug after the difficult truth where love is reaffirmed. Do you see it in his language? It's like a, this, he's like, how can I give you up? How can I hand you over? He refers to Adma and Zebuim, and those were towns in Sodom and Gomorrah that experienced complete annihilation in Deuteronomy. He's like, that's not what I'm going to do for you. He says, my heart recoils, pulls back within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. How's that? How's that possible? Humanly speaking, when someone wrongs us, we get fired up and there's consequence, right? We either cut them off, we're done, we're finished with them. You are, I am not dealing with that anymore, but not with him. His love is different than ours. His, love, his, his compassion overrides everything else. Ephesians 2, 4 says, he is rich in mercy and abounding in love. Rich in mercy and abounding in love. And that's what took him to that cruel Roman cross. What kind of love is this? What kind of love is this? He tells us, he says, for I am God and not a man. I think that's such a cool statement kind of hidden in there. I am God and not a man. I'm not like you. I don't operate on this kind of love that's contractual. That's you do this for me. I'll do this for you. No, that's not how he operates with us. It's so refreshing and encouraging to be reminded of that. He says, I'm the holy one in your midst. Isn't that a beautiful picture? The holy one in your midst. This idea, so many times people think of like, well, God's just kind of an absent God. It's like, oh no, I'm not. I couldn't possibly be more involved in your life. Every breath that you breathe, guess who's causing that lung to, to, to pull in air and to exhale? Who's causing that, that heart to keep beating? Who's, who's intricately keeping and weaving you together perfectly, rebuilding your body and cells every, what is it, 30 days? How unbelievably involved he is and concerned. That's why he's reaffirming his love to them. I want to make sure you know I love you. 
as we're thinking about that and how it relates to our life, I was thinking, you know, how, how do you apply that to the present day? And I was like, you know, what? so many of us, maybe that's something we could grow in is the people that we care about making sure that we're consistently reaffirming our love for them. And I'll tell you what, so many people in their later and last years of their life, they're just like, oh man, I, I wish I would have told this person I love them more. I wish I would have said this to them. After somebody passes away, they're just like, oh, I missed my window of opportunity. Let's not be those people. Let's be the people that reaffirm love in our network of relationships to be able to say things like, hey, I know we've had some rough days. I know this has been difficult, but that doesn't change that I love you. I care for you. We give that warm needed hug as much as possible. Our God demonstrates that for us. Continues in verse 10, says, they shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion when he roars his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. This picture here, he's looking to let them know that their future is secure. This is a prophetic book in nature. And so a lot of this is speaking about days to come. So this, a lot would, many would argue that Israel's still in this season where they haven't come back yet. They haven't come back yet. They are still in this wandering period of time. And really with that, they're still made, it's still important that they hear that, you know what? God hasn't left. He hasn't gone anywhere. I will be there, he's saying. When it's time, when you're ready to come running, I'm still a constant there. I will be there. One of the things we all so often long to hear in our human relationships Adrian and I, over the years, have spent a, a number of times counseling different young couples. And I think I've referred to this before in other sermons. But one of the things that we so kiss, consistently say to a young couple is, hey, listen, you have to make sure you don't use the D word in your relationship. You can't use, you can't suggest the divorce idea because if you do, when the opportunity, when things get difficult, what do you do? You take advantage of that. You utilize that. And here, it's so important to say, when you eliminate that from your vocabulary, you're forced to work through other means to solve it. Marriage counseling, wouldn't that be good input? I would still suggest today. Eliminating that, he's saying, I will be there. What's the catalyst for bringing them back? It's kind of an interesting uh, text there. It says, they shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come. What, is that, what does that roar look like? I was reading different commentaries on that this week. Some suggest that maybe the roar was the finished work on the cross, possibly. But unfortunately, that didn't necessarily cause Israel to come running. What I would suggest is this is a, a future thing still to come. A lot would point to the beginning of the, the millennial kingdom where God comes up and comes down and sets up his kingdom here. That's going to be a show and display of, of power. And so maybe that's something that's still to come before us today. But either way, whatever that looks like, there is a date on the calendar when Israel will respond and come running find it interesting that he used the word trembling. Trembling, normally when someone trembles, that causes them to do what? Run the other direction. But this is a different kind of trembling. There's a certain trembling when you're like, oh, wait a second. 
I was wrong. I can't run from this any longer. This is, this is, a, this is a love that's, that's irresistible. I can't, I can't hide behind a rock. And that's the same thing that's true still today. So many people have been trying to, to run and push God away. And he's like, oh, at some point, we're all going to come trembling. Whoa, it is as it was described in this book. So my question for us, just as we wrap up, as we finish today, which of these did we need to hear in our counseling? Whether it's counseling in our relationship with God or counseling with a human relationship, did we need to spend a little bit more time reflecting on the past? Is that maybe what we need to do? Spend some time looking back and celebrating some of the ways that you've seen that relationship in the beginning grow and flourish. Maybe it's the confronting the issues. Maybe some people have been bottling up stuff for way too long and they actually need to sit down and actually communicate. I've actually heard there's this great workshop where you can actually learn about communication coming up even in our church. Love reaffirmed. Maybe there's some hugs that need to happen today. Well, there's some people that need to have the the affection reaffirmed. Hey, I'm not going anywhere. I love you. We've had some difficult times, but I'm still crazy about you and you need to know that. Maybe that's a conversation that you need to have this week. Or maybe the last one there that we just looked at, the idea of being reminded of a secure future. I'm not going anywhere. I'm here to stay. Maybe some of us need to reassure that with someone. Maybe somebody needed to have that reassured to them today about our God. Our God isn't going anywhere. Once you've embraced him through Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross, he's not budging. He's a constant, someone that we can cling and hold to. All of these, I think, are profitable in marriage counseling. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this picture that you've used where you jump from marriage, you jump to father-son relationships, to parental stuff. You go back and forth making sure that we don't miss it, that it's not E equals MC squared kind of a love. It's a love that's compassionate. It's a love that's mature, a love that's pursuing. God, I thank you for that reality about the way we relate with you. Pray that our eyes would be open to that reality, God, that we wouldn't abuse the grace that you extend to us so patiently. God, that we would not be the ones that were taught to walk and run the other direction. And I'm not just preaching to the room, I'm preaching to myself as well. Thank you for your grace and patience and all of us, God. You're such an amazing father. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, thank you guys so much for being here. Hopefully that's a blessing and a reminder of God's love for you going into the rest of your week. Just a couple things as you're leaving. If there's something specific we can be praying for you about, we have a couple volunteers here after the service. Uh, otherwise, uh, one thing that we do each month is we have an opportunity to give back just a small uh, portion of what God's given us. We have a community offering just to help. Every dollar goes to anybody that's at need in our own church community and surrounding area. So if you want to give towards that, you're welcome to. Otherwise, God bless you. Have a fantastic rest of your Sunday.